This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Say what you want about America, land of the free, home of the brave. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. Dumbass motherfuckers, you know? You know I don't pull any punches, so I'm going to tell it to you straight. We're in trouble, folks. We're living through an American apocalypse. Women don't have equal rights. Guns are more important than our children's lives. The separation of church and state has been obliterated. And just like that, we're no longer the greatest country on earth. This morning, the radical Supreme Court is eviscerating Americans' rights and endangering their health and safety. But the Congress will continue to act uh, to overcome this extremism and protect the American people. Today, the Republican-controlled Supreme Court has achieved their dark, extreme goal of ripping away a woman's right to make their own reproductive health decisions. Because of Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and the Republican Party, their supermajority in the Supreme Court, American women today have less freedom than their mothers. With Roe, and their attempt to destroy it, radical Republicans are charging ahead with their crusade to criminalize health freedom. Let's not be naive. The Supreme Court is now working directly against the will of the people and the good of the people. Polls have consistently shown that roughly 65% of Americans are pro-abortion. But 50 years of settled law and our fundamental right to privacy was wiped away Friday morning because of political bias and religion. We are now poised to go from being the United States of America to being the states of America. When a Supreme Court, whose membership is the product of minority rule, will defy 70% of the American people and revoke a constitutional right for the first time in history. The vision for America, as expressed by Samuel Alito and his clerks in the first draft of the Alito opinion to overturn Roe versus Wade, is a country where your rights will depend on where you live. Other countries of the world do not understand this. They do not understand how a fundamental right, like the right of women to control their own bodies, depends on your address. The morality of the few now dictates the lives of the many. And we know it's just the beginning because Clarence Thomas told us it was just the beginning. Contraceptives and all things LGBTQ plus are next. The dissent from Justice Thomas makes very clear that there is a voice on the Supreme Court that is willing to go after or at least address the questions of um, same-sex marriage or contraception or whatever. And it's the same general legal framework that would strike them down. So that's, you know, point one. Point two is that um, right now, Justices Kavanaugh and Roberts in their concurrence made clear that maybe, you know, we're not going to go all the way there yet. Well, that means that, that we're one justice away if one of them were to leave the court uh, or change their mind or whatever else from those uh, questions coming up. So I think, you know, there isn't any more clarity today than there was yesterday, and we're sort of entering the legal Wild West here. Yes, elections do have consequences, but evil people will lie, cheat, and steal to become elected or confirmed. And that's who we're dealing with, evil people. According to a recent Gallup poll that happened before Roe versus Wade was banned, only 25% of us have any confidence in the Supreme Court at all. 
a record low because the court is basically illegitimate and hopelessly lopsided. Thanks to Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump who bent the rules to pick up Kavanaugh and broke them to confirm America's not-so-sweetheart, Amy Comey Barrett. So on something that is really a major cause with major effect on over half of the population of this country who are women, after all, it's it's distressing not to get a straight answer. So let me try again. Do you agree with Justice Scalia's view that Roe was wrongly decided? <clears throat> Senator, I completely understand why you are asking the question, but again, I can't pre-commit or say, yes, I'm going in with some agenda, because I'm not. I don't have any agenda. I have no agenda to try to overrule Casey. Um, I have an agenda to stick to the rule of law and decide cases as they come. And just as the Congress came together to create the first bipartisan gun laws in decades with the Safer Communities Act, the Supreme Court pulled the rug out from underneath it all and deemed concealed carry the new law of the land. With an opinion written by Thomas that again was ridiculously antiquated and intellectually limp. What happened at the court is tremendously bad. I think it's, um, I wonder how long we're going to have uh, these institutions at the rate we're undermining them. And uh, then I wonder when they're gone or they are destabilized what we will have as a country. And there is nothing conservative about the radical right. They are the opposite of who they say they are. You can't support criminals like Trump and his merry band of insurrectionists and call yourself the party of law and order. You can't dictate the reproductive rights of millions and call yourself small government. I don't believe anyone should be forced to take the vaccine. It should be your personal choice. You should make the choice based on your health, based on the decisions you want. We as Americans can make our own choices. Thank you. For our own families, for our own bodies. If I'm elected governor here in Arkansas, we will not have mass mandates. We will not have mandates on the vaccine. We will not shut down churches and schools and other large gatherings because we believe in personal freedom and responsibility. That's one of the key cornerstones, uh, frankly, of our country. Oh, yeah. The right has been all about my body, my choice when it comes to vaccines and masks. But conveniently, that personal freedom does not apply to abortion. The willfully ignorant, conspiracy-loving MAGA base that drives the Republican agenda hates liberals. And apparently, they'll stop at nothing to own us. I mean, think about that. They want to own us. It's not irony. It's fact. And they now have the guns to do it. This week's hearings prove beyond any reasonable doubt that the former president and his supporters led a coup that is still on track to destroy our democracy. And what can we do to stop it? Vote before elections become a thing of the past. Vote because you want to leave a better world for your kids. Vote because you are a kid and you simply won't let this shit stand. Vote. Fucking vote. We have just a few short months until November, and should we lose, all bets are off. This isn't a warning, folks. This isn't a drill. So wake the fuck up and don't ask yourself later, what could I have done? I just told you. Vote. Now let's get to the news. 
If you were watching the January 6th hearings on Thursday, you're well aware that the last days of the Trump White House were a full-on shit show, complete with a cast of characters too bizarre to be believed. During this installment, the committee sought to prove that Trump tried to corrupt the DOJ with a scheme to steal the 2020 election. Pompous legal hack John Eastman, discussed during Tuesday's hearings, was apparently the connection between Trump and Jeffrey Clark, the nerdy environmental middle manager who became acting attorney general for all of 30 seconds before the real DOJ heavies, Jeff Rosen, Richard Donahue, and Stephen Engel, laughed him out the door. Jeff Clark was proposing that uh, Jeff Rosen be replaced by Jeff Clark. And I thought the proposal was asinine. And I said, that's right, you're an environmental lawyer. How about you go back to your office and we'll call you when there's an oil spill? I thought Jeff's proposal, Clark's proposal, was nuts. I mean, as a guy said at a certain point, you know, listen, the best I can tell is the only thing you know about environmental and elections challenges is they both start with E. And based on your answer tonight, I'm not even certain you know that. Clark had repeatedly been told that there was no evidence of widespread voter fraud, but nonetheless, he pressured the DOJ leaders to send a bogus letter he'd written to state lawmakers, falsely claiming the election was fraudulent. For what? To justify pulling back their electors. Of course, the only thing that stopped Trump from hiring Clark was the threat of mass resignations, according to Donahue's testimony. Early on, the president said, what do I have to lose? And it was actually a good opening because I said, Mr. President, you have a great deal to lose. And I began to explain to him what he had to lose. I said, Mr. President, you're talking about putting a man in that seat who has never tried a criminal case who's never conducted a criminal investigation. He's telling you that he's going to take charge of the department, 115,000 employees, including the entire FBI, and turn the place on a dime and conduct nationwide criminal investigations that will produce results in a matter of days. It's impossible. It's absurd. It's not going to happen, and it's going to fail. Adam Kinzinger, a well-spoken Republican veteran that's getting death threats from the right because of his participation on the committee, ran point during Thursday's hearing and connected the dots between these bullshit coup plot puzzle pieces, which included vans full of stray ballots, surveillance tape at State Farm Arena, a YouTube conspiracy theory that Italian satellites had changed ballots for Biden, which coincidentally was Trump's excuse to illegally seize voting machines, which surely would have happened if the DOJ adults hadn't been in the room and said no. Bottom line, the most senior leadership of the Justice Department, from Attorney General Bill Barr to Jeff Rosen, his successor and his deputy, Rich Donahue, everyone except Jeff Clark, was telling President Trump the very same thing. The conspiracy theories were false. The allegation of a stolen election was a lie. The data left no room for doubt, nothing to question. And the Constitution left no room for President Trump to change the outcome of the election. Trump then called his Homeland Security official Ken Cuccinelli and lied, saying the Justice Department had given him the authority to seize the machines. 
Meadows even called again the next day to insist they look at the fake Italian YouTube video. I mean, this was all total insanity, Donahue said. If you take nothing else from today's hearing, take this. The plan was to Putinize the Justice Department of the United States. The plan came so close to completion that White House aides were acting like it was already reality. The plan only failed because these people appointed by Trump loyal to Trump's other external policy plans, put everything on the line to stop him. And that goes to the potential criminal liability of ex-President Trump because those same people who were there in the room, off the record, in secret, behind closed doors, who know him so well and also know the law so well, all say he was leading what they've now described as an illegal plot. Trump hoped that law enforcement officials would give the appearance of legitimacy to his lies so he and his allies had some veneer of credibility when they told the country that the election was stolen, Chairman Benny Thompson said in closing remarks. Trump's now infamous line to the DOJ brass, say it was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman, is really all the proof we need of corrupt intent but the hearings will resume in a few weeks. But let's be clear, the January 6th Capitol breach, the disgusting display of violence, mayhem and death, was not the point, but just the result of Trump's massive effort to steal the 2020 election. It was like crashing the car after 20 martinis when you're out of control. I mean, shit happens. But quick, the cherry on top of last Thursday's hearings, all of the pardons that Trump's toadies knew they'd need when all was said and done, Matt Gates, Andy Biggs, Perry, Brooks, Green, and Gomert. And nothing says guilt like asking for a pardon. Was Representative Gates requesting a pardon? Believe so. The, the general tone was we may get prosecuted because we were defensive of, you know, the president's positions on these things. The pardon that he was discussing, requesting, was as broad as you could describe. From the beginning, of, I remember he's from the beginning of time up until today, for any and all things. He mentioned Nixon, and I said Nixon's pardon was never nearly that broad. Also, early Thursday morning, Jeffrey Clark was dragged out of bed in his pajamas by the FBI, who then tossed his place, raided his electronics, and left him to cry on Tucker Carlson's shoulders like a fucking baby. At what point can we say the Department of Justice, where you once served, is a political instrument? It's completely out of control. Yeah, I, I think this is highly politicized and it's also part, uh, Tucker, uh, if you didn't know it, of a nationwide effort yesterday. There were multiple states where multiple people were roughly simultaneously uh, you know, raided for their electronic devices. Uh, and that obviously requires a high level of coordination. And look, um, with the hearing uh, that was pointed at me and, and targeting me today, uh, with uh, you know, the, the uh, special audience member of Sean Penn, so you know this is Hollywood, uh, you know, the, the very next day, you know, it, it looks highly coincidental. And Tucker, 
you know, I just don't believe in coincidences. Apparently, the bus was timed so that Clark wouldn't freak out and bury all his evidence once he realized that the committee's laser-sharp inquiries were focused on him. And after pleading the fifth over a hundred times during recent closed-door hearings with the committee, Jeff Clark has to be on his way down, right? Update. Last show I mentioned that the Virginia Senate race was heating up and promises to be bloody. The New York Times has confirmed a rumor that Representative Elaine Luria knew from the start that serving on the House committee investigating the January 6th could be a political liability in her Republican-leaning district in Virginia's Tidewater. Sure enough, the MAGA lackeys are using her service on the committee against her. She knows now that she may lose. You just want to thumb your nose at it because that's the most important thing about serving, Loria told the Times. If I don't get reelected because of this, that's okay. No Republican but Cheney says the same these days. I can't trust Obama. I, I, I have read about him and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma he's, a, he's, a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. With the passing of Arizona Senator John McCain, who relished his maverick status and voted for gun regulations, immigration reform, and against repealing the Affordable Care Act, there are no real Republicans with backbone left. The party now consists almost entirely of terrified sheep willing to fall in line behind the MAGA base regardless of the consequences. It's almost strange to think that the check and balance that Democrats and Republicans once provided for one another and the country is gone. It's just another casualty of Trumpism. Speaking of which, Trump was caught lying at a Faith and Freedom Coalition event last week when he said that CNN is liable for using the term the big lie and now has to quit using the term or go to court. Not true, but CNN's new chief executive, Chris Licht, is attempting to return CNN news to something more like journalism of yesteryear and less like a liberal bitch fest. Lich asked that the term big lie be used sparingly so that the news they present comes across as fair and balanced. Licht is looking to offer middle-of-the-road viewers an alternative to Fox and is probably correct in assuming that Anderson Cooper is the sort of newsman that people intrinsically trust. Hey everybody, I'm Laura Trump. Thanks so much for joining us to hear all about the President's Week. Real news. That's actually on YouTube. That actually exists. That's real. I mean, it's, it exists in the sense that it's real. It's not, well, you know. She's a senior advisor and, it turns out, a TV personality in an alternative universe called Real News Update. It's a good example of what happens when, like, politics reaches the crossroads of authoritarianism in the cast of Dynasty. Though, I'm not sure which character she is. I do highly recommend that YouTube channel if you like your campaign propaganda, like you like your Trump stakes. Heavy on branding, light on sourcing. Weird bit of trivia. Hitler wrote that people were more apt to fall victim to the big lie than the small lie, which might explain how he was able to scapegoat the Jews when Germany's economy crashed. 
But apparently the big lie was uttered on CNN broadcasts over 3,500 times since the 2020 election. CNN went on the warpath even before Trump was elected, and their constant outrage was premised on the idea that Trump posed a truth emergency or novel threat to American democracy. And you know what? He did, and they were right. But it is increasingly clear to this report that the only rational way out then will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as an honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. And now for the main event. We welcome back to Mayor Culpa, Scott Dorkin, co-founder and lead investigator of the Democratic Coalition and creator and host of the Dorkin Report. Dorkin is a proud member of the hashtag The Resistance, and his original Dorkin report helped uncover the Trump-Russia affair with the Democratic Coalition and explained it to a national audience on MSNBC well before special counsel Mueller's probe even began. Dorkin served as the deputy director for both the 2009 Presidential Inaugural Committee and 2012 Democratic National Convention. Scott was also a senior advisor on both the draft Biden and run Warren run campaigns. To date, Scott has worked on campaigns and with organizations in all 50 states and D.C. with his company, Bulldog Finance Group. You can find Scott on Facebook, on iTunes, and his Medium blog, his Daily Cost blog, on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Muckrack, and on Twitter under the handle hashtag Funder. You can also find his many MSNBC appearances on the Democratic Coalition's YouTube page. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Scott... Well, this week will definitely go down as either one of the worst in American history or is the one that sparked a revolution. Now that Roe versus Wade has been essentially overturned, will this be the moment that Americans finally wake up and fight to take back our rights? Or will we just roll over? Because, look, I know women, especially women of color, will immediately feel the brunt of this terrible ruling. But do you think it'll be enough to get the Democrats out in November? And when I say the Democrats out in November, I'm not talking about out of office. I'm talking about out to vote. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a big catalyst. I have not seen people this fired up since probably 2017, early 2017, after Trump was sworn in. Um, So I think this is a turning point. It's a reminder. You know, we knew this was coming, but I think it's still a shock to everybody. It's dropping on a Friday. So uh, after the week of testimonies and everything else going on, um, you know, I think that it's it's really tough for people to to deal with. And so I I think we've got to you know, make sure that uh, everybody obviously gets out to vote because Congress can change things. You know, if we change the Senate, we can protect women's rights with the Women's Health Protection Act. And, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of things Congress can do to protect us from the Supreme Court that Trump had chosen. And so this is this is one of those rot, the things that we have to deal with uh, from Trump that to years to come include the Supreme Court. And it's not reflective of the United States of America. 
It's one of the most un-American things that I've ever seen done, at least in my lifetime. Um, and uh, I, I just think that this is the beginning of a, a travesty. This week, they, they, I guess the Supreme Court decided to kill Americans this week because, you know, loosening gun laws on top of this, all it's going to do is hurt people because it's not going to stop abortions. It's not going to stop abortions, not not by any means. It's just going to make it so that they're more dangerous and they're taken in, um, you know, in, in places that they shouldn't. So, um, you know, that's that's my thought. I, I think what's next is women's health centers. They're going to go after everything. Um, it's just hurting people and it's wrong. Well, look, it was Justice Samuel Alito who was actually the um, the judge who wrote the opinion. And I found a couple of things that he stated in that opinion to be. Well, let's just call it disturbing, to say the least, when he stated that Roe must be overruled because they were egregiously wrong, meaning in the arg- and that the arguments were exceptionally weak and so damaging that they amounted to an abuse of judicial authority. Now, if you unpack that, which I'm not even sure how you do it, which is why I'm asking you for your help— um, what's he babbling about here, Scott? I mean, you're talking about it must be overruled. Okay, I get it. And so you did, along with who? Well, of course, the three Trump appointees, despite the fact that they stood before the American people and swore that they would uphold precedented Supreme Court decisions. They clearly are not people of their word. But then again, it's why Trump ended up you know, appointing them in the first place. But that the original court, going back to 1973 in the Roe decision, right, were egregiously wrong, the arguments exceptionally weak and so damaging as to amount to an abuse of judicial authority. I'm lost. I'm really, I'm lost. You have a law degree. I don't. Um, but I would say that it, it is it is overly confusing um, to just anybody. And I think it's just a bunch of mumble jumbo words where he's just saying a bunch of pig vomit and kind of just spitting it out everywhere. In regards to uh, the three other justices, it's to be expected that they lie under oath and in front of America. Um, and we warned Susan Collins about this. So shame on her forever um, for her mm-hmm. support. And, and we did everything as peaceful as possible. Um, and, the, you know, I was out there to, uh, uh, in, in the, the halls of Congress uh, protesting um, along the lines of Capitol Police and following their orders in, in regards to what we were doing. Um, people still got arrested. Um, but it, you know, it was orderly. Nobody was armed. It wasn't an insurrection. Um, but we pushed it as far as we could go and people still didn't listen. And, you know, I think this is just a reminder that if we have 51 votes in the Senate, as in 50 votes plus one from, from Harris, then we can pretty much do everything we need to without the Supreme court, without, uh, you know, I think we just need to, we need to be focused on that. Um, but the, the lead of memo, I mean, like they're going to, it's just a bunch of gibberish. It's just a cover acting like it's the, what, what about is like, well, that in the first place that should have never been there in the first place. And they overreached. So it's like, 
people are going to say that they overreached here. And so they're, he's just repeating that language and acting like, no, 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 it was those guys. It was their fault. Yeah. I think that that's well, what the, he's trying to accomplish. Well, I, I don't know, but let me just take it one step further because I'm going to now quote from his opinion, which again, I scratch my head. Now, I'm no Supreme Court judge. Actually, in fact, I'm a disbarred attorney, right? <laughs> so I'm certainly not questioning um, the man's intelligence. What I'm questioning is why he did what he did. And I believe this is, again, um, you can have your opinion, but your opinion, of course, should not supersede mine. And here's what Alito, on the, again, on behalf of the majority, ends up writing, that Abortion is a matter to be decided by states and the voters in the states. We hold, he wrote, that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Well, that's true. Those words are not in the Constitution. So I agree. As to what standard the court should apply in the event that a state regulation is challenged, Alito said any state regulation of abortion is presumptively valid and must be sustained if there is a rational basis on which the legislature could have thought it was serving legitimate state interests including respect for and preservation of prenatal life at all stages of development. In addition, he notes, states are entitled to regulate abortion to eliminate gruesome and barbaric medical procedures to preserve the integrity of the medical profession and to prevent discrimination on the basis of race, sex, or disability, including barring abortion in cases of fetal abnormality. Now, I scratch my head because I just want to go to the in addition to section. Gruesome and barbaric medical procedures. Does he not recall all of the stories and all of the scenarios of these back alley abortions. The, in, for, for example, in Chicago, they had septic um, abortion wings. They had them all over where these women would come in um, where after being um, brutally um, mishandled in order to obtain the abortion, he's exactly opposite of what the reality is and what we know the reality was, including, right, gruesome, uh, preserve the integrity of the medical profession. Well, what does this have to do with the medical profession, right? This has to do with people who are clearly not either licensed medical doctors or they're the bottom of the barrel and they're doing these uh, back alley abortions. Everything he says here is for lack of a better term, it's bullshit. He's trying to back in his, he's trying to back into his decision with these sort of protectionism types of rights. Who do you think is going to be discriminated based upon their ruling? You think it's not going to be based upon race? Right. It's not going to be, you know, obviously sex. It's not the man who's having the abortion of the child. This is this is really disability. I mean, a, a fetal abnormality. What's he talking? It's like it's a smorgasbord of items that you cannot put them together in order to make the intended result. And I don't. And this is so overreaching and so confusing to me. I don't know 
what else to do but to ask you for your thoughts. Yeah, I think the key thing is he mentions it's a medical procedure. And with most medical procedures, we don't choose. We don't have a choice, uh, you know, in regards to if we want to stay healthy, you know, we need to do X, Y medical procedure. Um, And, you know, a lot of times that's what the doctor will recommend an abortion if there's a certain scenario where it could kill the mother or where the baby will not survive for sure. Like it doesn't have an an arm or or it doesn't have a head. It doesn't have the right organs. It's not actually a living being. Um, And they try and define them so that you're stuck with that scenario of, of possibly killing the mother. Um, And that's, you know, the same thing under rape and incest where they force people who who are even girls that are, you know, 12, 13 years old to have babies uh, out of incest. And it, it's just cruel and unusual punishment. Like that is gruesome and barbaric. Gruesome and barbaric is taking away the woman's right to choose. Gruesome and barbaric is uh, making sure that, you know, y- y- white men are controlling women's bodies across the world instead of, uh, across America, instead of actually taking care of, uh, like, like I don't think that any of these dirty, grubby hands should be anywhere near, uh, you know, my uh, daughter's aunt's niece, uh, grandma's, anybody's body, and that's what they're doing. Is these uh, overprivileged dudes who have no idea what they're doing, who probably would, uh, with their mistresses, go go and get an abortion at a heartbeat. Um, talk about this as, uh, you know, a, a way to distract from the other things they are conning us with. And they don't really understand. They don't care to understand. Uh, they just know that a bunch of people seem to think that it's a good idea to ban p- people with abortion. What I've seen is it is worse than this. It is not just about abortion because most of the things that Planned Parenthood does ha- has nothing to do with abortion. Right. But like mm-hmm. they try and paint it that way and all it's going to do is hurt women because they're going to use this to defund a lot of things that are women's health oriented it's just going to hurt people and those those people who they're defunding are uh, a, a lot of people of color and poor people throughout the country and that's what well, they're you focused on yeah you hit it right on the right right on the head my daughter uh, right after this came out she was really upset i have a 26 year old daughter and I gave her my cell phone and she went on to my Twitter account because I have, um, you know, well over 600,000 uh, followers and they're pretty engaged followers. And she goes, do you mind if I put something out? I'm really pissed. And I said, knock yourself out. And so she put out a tweet onto it that said the Supreme Court's ruling today regarding Roe v. Wade illuminates a sad and hard truth in our society. Those who control the means of reproduction control the entire social structure. That is a white patriarchy, exactly what you were just talking about. More than the devastating consequence of policing women's bodies, the repercussions lend themselves to persecution of women, minorities, and LGBTQ members. After 50 years, this is a saddening step backwards in our nation's history. We must fight this and support women's rights to autonomy over their bodies. And, and I was like, wow, well, well done. You know, uh, I mean, really well done, well said. And it's 
absolutely spot on point. But it brings me, Scott, to my next question, which I wanted to ask you, because my daughter is part of that, you know, Gen Z, the youth vote. Is it coming? Especially now that it's clear that their rights are disappearing at an, I mean, literally an alarming rate. Gen X, Gen Y, and Gen Z, in fact, make up the biggest voting block in the United States' history. So how do we get them to show up and vote? I mean, they have the most to lose. So what's being done right now to mobilize and activate them? Because without them, bullshit like this is going to continue to happen on a daily basis. One of the things that needs to happen is people need to fund organizations like the Democratic Coalition, Midas Touch, um, you know, Really American. Uh, I'm going to leave a bunch of people out, Vote Vets. They, they need to fund organizations that need money that can actually do the work uh, that have a proof of work. Um, and so that's one of the, one of the things that needs to happen. Um, we have to have quality candidates running for office that stand for these values proudly. You know, they have to stand next to it. They have to own it. The people who win in, uh, you know, divisive places that are Democrats, if they stand by their liberal values, People respect that more than them being wishy-washy on the fence. Um, that's how we lose close races. Own it, be out in front with it, uh, and talk about it in a way that everybody understands. It doesn't mean you have to use the word abortion. I know that's like a hot button issue in places like North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Um, but like, however you talk about it, just be clear that you stand for women's rights, that the Roe v. Wade being overturned is not appropriate um, but so we have to have quality candidates in order for people to come out uh, as well. And so I, I recommend that a lot of people who are angry right now, not just voting, not just organizing people to vote, run for office. You know, if you're sick and tired of other people doing it and not following through, then this is a good opportunity to galvanize the vote. There's no better way for you to galvanize a vote than running for office. Um, so that's another thing is I think this is going to spur uh, a, a women's revolution in this country that we've never seen before. Um, the, 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 everyone is, was preparing for this moment. Um, you know, we don't have long until the uh, midterm elections here. Um, I think that this moment is the catalyst for why Republicans do not win back the House and why they lose Senate seats. And that, that's, that, that's going to be the determination. There's going to be a one-issue vote. Um, and they're not, they're not going to have, you know, here's what we've done. Like, they'll, they'll be able to say, you know, well, we did this for, for gun rights. We did this for abortion. But people, when they accomplish something, they think, oh, good. They're not, like, ready to go vote again. Like, oh, let's keep on going. No, we have the anti we have the evidence. We have everything lined up for us where we can present the argument and the cases. So it's on the Democratic Party and organizations like mine and others to step up and make sure that we lay out the case as clearly as possible as to why it's beneficial to expand what we have. Because if we had a Senate where Manchin and Cinema were not standing in our way, if we had two more senators that were Democrats and we could we could pass anything and we could protect, again, a woman's right to choose. And so it, it just it really is key to galvanizing the base 
Um, I think we're prepared. I, th- I think we're more organized than we have ever been. And I think people are fired up. It is a Friday. It is the summertime. It's been a long week. It's been a long year. It's been a long six years. But I, I think people are ready and revved up. And they know that the finish line is coming up shortly. Early voting is going to start soon. Um, you know, we're, we're prepared, but it's all about driving that funding and energy. Uh, and it's, again, hard to see. It's hard to see because everything is spread so thin right now. People are starting to use multiple social media platforms. So it's harder to have more, one thing trend on all platforms. Um, but I think that there's going to be a focus on this for the election um, this mixed with the January 6th committee results and and these damning testimonies that are coming out being shortcut and, and into ads um, presented to swing voters in swing states. And I think they, they lose in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and Wisconsin and Iowa. I don't know about Florida um, and also North Carolina. I think they lose there. The, these are the states where I think that they're going to get uh, the blue wave is going to be a tsunami. It's going to be big. And this is just adding fuel to the fire. They, they have nothing to celebrate. And the timing for them is terrible for this timing for Republicans. Except Scott, I, I, I got to push back on you. Um, sure. uh, something here because I don't see it the same way uh, as you do. I don't see uh, Gen X, Gen Y and Gen Z mobilizing and getting angry. And in all fairness, it really should be, as of today, it should be uh, these younger generations, not you or, or me, certainly not males, but the women should be furious right now. You know, one of the things I tried to do here on Mea Culpa is I tried to make this podcast as well into a movement. And I've been specifically trying to target the younger generation simply because they are the biggest voting block in U.S. history. And if we're able to secure them, we will be successful as you state. But if they're not going to mobilize, and I don't see it, but I'll tell you what I do see. I looked online the other day. Uh, I'm sorry, um, you know, a, a, a couple hours ago. And um, there's photos of in various different articles from the NPRs to the Politico to the Times, et cetera, of the rally that took place in front of um, the Supreme Court earlier you know, today. And there's a whole slew of young women wearing, you know, I am pro-life, I am the pro-life generation t-shirts, walking around with flags and banners saying protection at conception. And it's a slew of them. It's not three or four. I mean, it could be the camera angle and how they took it. And I will guarantee you that the number of people against this decision um, outweighs the number of these uh, pro-life generation rally goers. But I'm shocked that they had any. And again, I'm not saying that she should not be pro-life. As far as I'm concerned, knock yourself out. I don't care if you're pro-beer, pro-scotch, pro-martini. Makes no difference to me. I don't care you know, what your profession is. It's irrelevant. The same thing here. You be you. And let the other person be themselves. If you want to be pro-life, that's great. And I, and I applaud you for your decision. But if you are wearing the opposite, that I am pro-choice, I applaud you as well. You have the right, in my opinion, to decide what to do with your body. That's, and I'm just shocked that one woman would feel anything different 
than that. You want to you want to have the child under regardless what the circumstance may be, knock yourself out. And I wish you and your child all the best, but don't impede on somebody else's right. To me, it's just crazy. But let me ask you this in, in moving forward. What else do you think will happen as a result of our right to privacy being stripped away? Is this the beginning of the end for marriage equality? And how about gay rights in general? I think that uh, it's pretty well protected at the moment. But, you know, what are the bounds? You know, what 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 exactly how far is, is the right willing to push this? And I think we need to recognize the fact that they'll push it as freaking far as they possibly can. I, I mentioned to somebody uh, today that I wouldn't be shocked. And I know this sounds crazy, right? But like, I wouldn't be shocked if some re- Republican starts pushing, removing the women's right to vote at this point. Cause it, it just, at, at what point does this stop in regards to gay rights? that's next. You know, I I don't see there's still Republicans who push back with like hardcore against gay rights that, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a great example of terribleness where she says, you know, continuously that marriage between man and woman, marriage between women, like and she uses those talking points from 20 years ago. And it's just like in a circle. And there's no reason for that. You know, there's no. um facts behind what she's saying, you know, and there's no uh, truth to what she's saying either. But I I think that it's, you know, we're the the alarm needs to go off in everybody's head Uh, to clarify. The groups are organized. The groups are containing and and, uh, getting people trying to get people to galvanize. Um, It doesn't mean that those people who are members of the groups are galvanized yet. Um, So I think that looking for how we provoke them into action, into voting, into volunteering, into showing up in droves and being fired up about it, like that's yet to come. Um, Our right for privacy. I mean, I think we gave that up with social media years ago uh, on top of like what goes on in the bedroom. Um, But I I, I would uh, I would say that, you know, it's just it's just we have to we have to assume the worst we have to assume the garbage bottom barrel worst we have to assume that they want to take away all women's rights like every every right for women we have to assume that they want to take away everything uh, that gay partners have we have to assume the worst you know that's playing in the mud we and that's that's what that's what i'm worried about is they'll take it as far as we let them and that's that's what we can't. Uh, but what I believe, what I truly believe, and this is starting to happen in some places, is that it will rubber band. The extremism will will cause it so that the liberals will be able to present a uh, a, a cohesive argument in a very liberal fashion. That's uh, you know the infrastructure bill from Biden. He was able to do that because Trump has so much frivolous spending and so much nonsense. Um, They're like, okay, well, we're going to go all the way to the moon with it. And and so I think that this is going to backlash into, uh, again, a place where it's just, you know, there will be states that embrace this wholly, but then there's going to be states that uh, do not. And I think it's going to add to, you know, division in this country. But um, at the end of the day, this is going to blow up in Republicans' faces in a per se, in a nonviolent way. 
Um, you know, I just think that or in we, a or in a violent yeah. or in a violent way. We we don't know. We we don't know. They're going to then start, you know, trying to interfere with um with the LGBTQ community. They'll start uh, doing it based oh, upon violent with them. Uh, on oh, race. With them, them being absolutely. Violent. absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, yeah. no. I, I, I wanted to make sure that blowing up in their face, I didn't mean blowing up in their face. Oh, but I, like, will they get violent? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're terrorists. Like they, they'll absolutely. Um, I, I would expect many insurrections in states across the country when things don't go their way, when city councils don't go their way. Like this is at the end Scott, of that, you know, Scott, what do you mean go their way? They're going to then reward people for turning in other people who had an abortion or abortion. Oh, hunters. That'll be, that'll be your next reality television show that's on there. And then it'll start getting really crazy as the ratings go up. Uh, it's, this is going to be, you know, some dog, the bounty hunter bullshit. This is going to be some crazy, crazy stuff. And the more people that'll start to watch it, you'll see the higher the ratings go. And then the more the crazies will come out, which now, let me ask you this then. The Supreme Court has outed itself as being a deeply partisan body. Three quarters of the court are religious fanatics and federalist stooges. The separation of church and state has now been breached. But it seems like there isn't any will to add justices to the court or set term limits for the high court justices. They don't even have a code of ethics to guide them. So what now? How can we fight the highest court in the land when they make a ruling, for example, like overturning Roe v. Wade? And why is it that we don't have more people? And why is it that we don't have term limits? I hate the concept, whether it's Supreme Court judges or federal court judges, that you have a job for life. No one should have a job for life other than being a parent. Right. Uh, you know, term limits obviously is a necessity. Um, adding to the bench would be... Uh, wonderful, because I think it would help balance everything uh, as long as it balances itself. And it's not there, there's a mechanism or a way that we can actually balance the court. A code of ethics, man, we uh, filed an ethics complaint on Kavanaugh um, during it, and it was actually considered and it made it all the way to Roberts, who then I believe said he couldn't do anything with it because, and he didn't say this, but like the understanding from our lawyer was he can't do anything with it because there is no code of ethics. So it was handed to Merrick Garland, who was a judge at the moment. And then he said he couldn't do anything with it because Kavanaugh no longer stood under the lower court standing. And so he was, was applying the ethics code or whatever at the higher court. And then so Merrick Garland then took it and handed it off to somebody else. And that person threw it out. And it was like, you know, it was for, for lying under oath. And, and so they did consider it, but it just bounced around everywhere. And I found it interesting that Roberts even touched it, um, but it, he got it out of his court pretty quickly. I, I don't understand why they, they shouldn't, you know, they, we should hold our elected politicians, especially the Supreme Court, at the highest standard. We should know everything about them inside and out, where their money comes from, who they're getting paid by before. Um, we should know about, about everything that they stand for because they're trying to represent America and they're doing a job interview and we have to understand all that. And if you lie in your job interview, there should be repercussions for that. If you lie under oath about whether or not you support uh, Roe v. Wade, or you believe it's settled law, and then you overturn it, like that is, in my mind, a lie. I know what they'd say. Oh, well, I evolved on my opinion since then. Uh, bullshit. 
Like they, they try that, um, you know, the partisanship is, is rank. And I, I mean, you know, Republicans, this, I, I assume, you know, it's just going to get, it's going to get worse. I, I, I don't know uh, exactly what they expect, but this is, this is decades of, of issues that we're going to be dealing with, with the Supreme court that is just going to dominate, um, people and, and hurt people in the long run. So uh, my my hope is that Congress um, changes and evolves into a way where they they know that changes need to be made to the Supreme Court, because this is not what the founders intended. Now, the founders, you know, weren't the, you know, the there's some shady guys that were considered founders or whatnot, but their intentions in regards to how this uh, country should be run, they would never support, you know, kids getting shot up in schools. Um, people be being ac- able to access guns like this, they would never support. Um, not, not. A, I mean, like they never support equality either. Um, but they would support the idea of everybody being equal. Um, the overall idea of that, and so I, I, I think we're we're in a we're in a really tough time because there's very little that we can do besides voting people in office that actually will do a damn thing about it. And it's not just not just Congress, especially on the local level, especially city council, especially state rep, state Senate, um, you know, voting at that level and paying attention to that, like, you know, making changes there can actually change an entire state's, you know, legislative body and how they stand uh, on an issue. And, you know, I think this is if people roll over for this, which I don't believe they will, but if they do. Um, we're in a spot where, you know, anything is possible. This is not the end of this. This is not the, the where they'll stop. They won't stop here. They're not like high-fiving each other and just being like, all right, we're good. Like they're going to take everything as far as they possibly can go and they have to be stopped. And the only way they can be stopped is through the ballot box and also in Congress and through state legislatures. And we have to elect people um, who support women's rights who support uh for you know people people living free and not um you know barging into their bedroom and and telling them what they can and cannot do and who you can and cannot marry and who you can't uh, i mean a, a, who who exactly has control of their body because i know that if someone told me oh i uh you can have you can you cannot have uh, a baby this way, but you can this way. I'd be like, what are you talking? Like, you can't control anything about me because if it was dudes, if there were laws against dudes in regards to their reproductive health, I, I mean, it just would never happen. And and people people are so confused when that even comes up. It's like, what if there were, you know, uh, what if you weren't allowed to get a vasectomy? What if you weren't allowed to? Uh, what if you were mandated to get a vasectomy? There you go. Yeah. Right. The, now they turn and they find that your DNA is not, it's not perfect, right? That you have what, whatever, you know, could be a gene there. And as a direct result, you're mandated to get a vasectomy. I mean, that's crazy. But can I, I want to jump in on something here. I read this survey and it really, it really disturbed me. It was from the National Judicial College, and that college provides training to judges across the country. And they sent out a survey to more than 12,000 judges, all right? And what bothered me is that 
Only 859 of those judges responded to the survey, but 97% of these 859 judges, so somewhere like 850, all responded agreeing that Supreme Court justices should be bound by an ethics code. And the fact that there is none, right? Could you imagine that they're lacking an HR department, so to speak, in the Supreme Court? We're talking about a court that makes decisions like Roe v. Wade, one that is the highest court in the land, the ultimate arbiter of decisions that are significant and they don't have a code of ethics? I mean, I, I'm with you on it. I mean, what is it, four months ago that they brought on, uh, you know, Kavanaugh or Amy Cohn Barrett, uh, and now all of a sudden they've evolved, they've changed back to that Southern white Christian coalition, that evangelical, you know, concept of, um, of Roe v. Wade, of abortion. Um, again, I'm angry. I watch the television. It makes me more angry. And it's just today is a day that everyone will remember or should remember. And again, it's why I keep calling upon the Gen X, Y, and Zers, uh, as well as those of us, you know, uh, who are somewhat older, uh, part of the baby boom generation, right, where um, we really do need to get active and we need to put a stop to this bullshit before everybody's rights get trampled. But let me ask you this, you know, further, Justice Thomas, in my opinion, should be impeached, right? Just based on his wife's actions to support a coup attempt and to overturn the results of the 2020 election. In your opinion, why hasn't there been wider support to remove him from the court based on all that we know right now about his wife, Jeannie Thomas, and the fact that he refused to go along with, you know, um, prosecuting those people that were at the January 6th insurrection. I think some people are in a wait and see mode, waiting to see what happens next, what evidence is going to be released in regards to her involvement, her funding, her support, and how she drove that. and also. Clarence Thomas's involvement with that. Um, there's no way he wasn't involved. There's no way he didn't know about it. There's no way he probably didn't support it. Um, they're way too close. So, you know, I, I've brought up this uh, idea of him being impeached, and it's just to Republicans, there's not enough there, quote unquote. Um, there's not enough proof that uh, there was wrongdoing in their mind. And now keep in mind, you know, these are the same people who voted uh, to acquit uh, Donald twice. So I, I, it's, it'd be really hard to um, make it happen. I, I, don't, I don't know uh, what it would take. And I, I like him, he could have been inside the Capitol building, um, you know, committing violent acts against police officers. And I don't think that they would impeach him. You know, like, so it, I'm not sure exactly what it would take, um, but it, it needs to be, I guess there, there, there's just not going to be a wide support to remove him because I think people don't think it's possible and uh, people support it. Like uh, I say a vast majority of Americans support removing him from the bench. I just don't think it's going to, going to happen. And so people are more realistic of like, but 
you know, I know the numbers here. So this is, again, going back to who we vote into office, who we vote into Congress, and holding people to the highest standard, not the lowest. In Supreme Court, um, you should never be able to decide of anything that any uh, of any crime that has to do with your family. Yeah, yeah especially Scott, Scott, let me, Scott, let me say, yeah, let me say this to you. All right. Republicans will never ask Thomas to step off the Supreme Court because all that will happen is that it will give Joe Biden an opportunity to put someone on. So it's not that they don't agree that what he did uh, in not uh, permitting, you know, or not wanting to see information, documentation released that would implicate his wife in the January 6th insurrection. It's simply because they don't want Biden to have a choice within which to pick the Supreme Court judge. And that's pretty fucked up if you think about it, right? Right? They're not they're not doing things for the benefit of this country, but rather for themselves and their party. And that's why we have so much divisive uh, divisiveness in this country, why um, Republicans and Democrats, the wall, the aisle in between is so tall right now that it's not just that it's tall and hard to get over. Now it's, you know, topped and bottomed with barbed wire. I mean, they do not want to work together to the point they're willing to allow a Supreme Court judge to remain on the bench, knowing that he probably should be, you know, asked to resign or forced out. And they don't care simply because they don't want to give Biden that opportunity. Now, that's crazy. So let's talk about something else that's absolutely crazy, because it's frankly absurd that in one week, we have the Congress finally making headway with safe gun laws, while the Supreme Court then goes ahead and clears the way for concealed carry permits everywhere. I mean, Thomas's opinion is both. It's antiquated and it's intellectually weak. How can we work to protect our kids from gun violence when the highest court in the land is making the NRA's dream come true? Well, we need to start by banning assault weapons. Uh, I, I know a bunch of different responsible gun owners, police officers, um, members of the military, veterans that are all you're against. Talking, you're talking to one right now. Yeah, uh, against all civilians uh, having any weapons of war whatsoever, no no necessity for it at all. Um, you know, and, and I think it starts at the state level a lot with that um, trying to push back because you got to get people elected that support that in Congress and and otherwise. Um, so I think keeping things simple. And moving things, because I, I would assume that Republicans think this is all they'll have to do in regards to gun reform. Like this is the this is the only thing that that they'll be willing to do, and they'll use this as a, oh we we already passed this, and I know how they'll work. You know, for the next five years they'll cite this. Oh well, we did this though, and it, you know it's still bare minimum. It's something. It's something. Friends like Fred Gutenberg, David Hogg, like they support. You know what's what's happening. Um, but it's it's not enough. And I, I what, what I think is, you know, people have exploited the laws and it's led to innocent children being murdered, slaughtered. It's a threat to humanity. It's a threat to Americans everywhere. And we should be doing everything in our power to make sure it never, ever happens again, not shrug our shoulders and be like, but, you know, I want to go shoot my dad's rusty car in the backyard with an AR-15. And it's like, that's, you know, your cosplay is killing people. 
you know, you, you wanting to play dress up and act like in the military, you want to use an AR-15, sign up for the military. Absolutely. You know? yep. so, Absolutely. A, a, no more. No more of that nonsense. Thoughts and prayers with the families and so on. How about fuck you? How about, right? How about the banning? Do something, right? And ban these these weapons of war. I actually, and I've said this on this podcast before, I am, well, I was a responsible gun, on, a gun, uh, gun owner. I was one of maybe a thousand people in New York City that was licensed to carry a concealed. Now, of course, I lost that as a felon. And I do wonder whether or not uh, I'm going to you know, make some sort of an application for my license back simply because why should I not be then permitted to have my Second Amendment right to carry a concealed weapon? Why? Because um, I paid, you know, Stormy Daniels not to talk about Trump's mushroom pecker. Seriously? Right. That should be a reason. There's no violence in my PSR. Um, right. You know, I've never when I had the gun for I had three of them, you know, I used to carry two uh, all the time. And I, you know, I've never pulled the gun on anybody. I've never shot anybody. Thank God I never, you know, I never had to. But now that you're going to have all of these concealed carries, you know, and everybody's worried about their own safety. Well, I'm worried about mine too. And so why should I not be entitled to it? Well, because I have a felony conviction off of what? Off of an alleged tax, you know, tax, um, failure to pay a tax, nonviolent, uh, paying Stormy Daniels, nonviolent. I even ended up pleading guilty to Karen McDougal when in fact it was David Pecker who paid it because that's what the Southern District wanted. But I don't know. We'll see what happens when it comes to that. But let me move on and ask you this, Scott. I think the January 6th hearing is a sort of high art. I mean, the picture that they've drawn of Trump and how incompetently he ran the White House, I mean, particularly while he was trying to steal the election. I mean, it's horrifying. And the way they're portraying it is actually brilliant. I mean, the guys from the DOJ were effective, you know, um, though I have a lot of reservations about them. Uh, let me give you, and then I'm going to ask you this question, because I know you've been watching the hearings. Tell me, what was your favorite moment um, during the hearing of uh, the other day with the DOJ uh, folks? We're talking about Rosen, we're talking about Engel, and then um, uh, Donahoe, right? Did anything there surprise you? I, I was surprised at how willing they were to testify against him with things that they could probably claim, you know, uh, something they could, they could act like they couldn't talk on the record for whatever reason. I mean, I, I, their willingness to just say everything publicly, um, you know, I found that to be interesting. I, I found it to be, on par with what you and me and other people were saying the whole time of, you know, the behind the scenes, like he's trying to throw a coup, like, and people be like, well, you know, it's not really like, no, like one of his many coups that he attempted and failed was via the DOJ. He tried to throw a coup via the election using the DOJ as, um, you know, he wanted another thing with a stamp on it that said DOJ that, that he could wave around and say, DOJ said there was fraud. I'm staying in office like he wanted that piece of paper. Um, and I think the, the most damning part of it was the fact that they were uh, they showed up and they actually told the truth and they actually to told uh, it said everything that 
uh, transpired that we needed to know at this point. Um, and it's, it's much, it's not much worse, but it's as bad as I thought it was. Um, and you know, he, he really was trying to do everything he could to stay in office. And this was just another tentacle of his coup and it failed. Um, the, the thing about it though, is he, he crossed criminal lines, it seems. Um, so they're getting, they're edging closer and closer. One of the most brilliant things, um, Glenn Kirshner was on my show last week and, you know, he's a former federal prosecutor. Um, and he brought up this, this point of, we may have, if the DOJ had prosecuted any of these people in, you know, a year ago, uh, before the January 6th committee, we may never have seen any of this evidence. We surely probably would never see this video testimony, um, if, if, if they had presented that way, but doing it this in this order where the January 6th committee gets to present the evidence and the American people then know the crimes and then the DOJ can take action uh, as they have. To, I mean, it feels like they have to at this point. Um, you know, I think it's just the level of brilliance with that. Um, it, it's, it's just it's interesting how January 6th is ultimately what I think will end Trump's kind of reign of the Republican party. He did it to himself and his own people are taking him down slowly, methodically. Uh, and you know, yeah, maybe not everybody's watching it, but yeah, I sure as hell will be playing that the different clips over and over to make sure that people see it on Fox news and Newsmax Cause they'll take our money for ads and they'll let well, us present our sure. And so like, we just have to be clear with our issues. We have to be clear about how we present it. So it, with the timing and everything, I just think that this is, this is damning evidence that we're going to be able to use for years to come. Um, so I, I, do you, it's Scott, great, do you know great, how much damning evidence, do you even know how much damning evidence that we have seen over the past, you know, 18 months since Trump is out of office? Do you know how much yes. damning evidence existed literally since he descended the escalators and insulted Mexicans, right, with his, with his brilliance and so on? I'm going to tell you, I do credit these three men. And yes, they were brave to say no to Donald. Remember, I was there next to Donald for a long time, for more than a decade. Not a lot of people say no to him. Let's right. also not forget it was 17 days before the end of their tenure anyway. But the thing that bothered me was like when Engel was speaking and he made a comment, which was, you know, Donald, uh, Mr. President, I've been with you from the beginning and through four attorney generals. I think it was four that he said you know, through these uh, attorney generals. But if in fact that you do this, meaning to put in uh, Clark as the attorney general, then I'm going to resign immediately. Did he think that he's supposed to get a pat on the back, right? It's, it's sort of like, it's, you know, you, you um, beat someone up, you torture them, but because you're not going to kill them, again, that you should be patted on the back. How about over the course of the four years, all of the shit that the DOJ pulled 
on behalf of Donald Trump. You were there. You were at the top of the food chain. Maybe you weren't the top, but you were at the top of the food chain. Why don't you spill the beans on the real shit that Trump did with the DOJ, empowering them, especially especially when Bill Barr came in, right? Because he's the most despicable, that fat fucking scumbag laying there with that smug fucking look on his face, chuckling, ha ha, I told Donald bullshit. I told Donald bullshit. Fuck you, Bill Barr. Come clean on all the shit that the DOJ did when Donald weaponized it for his own benefit and his own purpose. That's the part that these guys need to step up and to do. Anything short of that, there's no redemption here. Oh, why? Because now he turned around? Though, again, I still credit. Could you imagine what would have happened had Engel and Rosen and Donahoe not turned around and said no to Donald? And then they really did throw the entire election process into total chaos? Listen, who knows what could have happened? I mean, whoever thought Roe v. Wade after 50 years, right? Whoever thought that there'd be some sort of a federal, um, you know, right to have a concealed permit because Texas and other states and, you know, now this rise in Second Amendment and NRA power. I mean, I was under the concept that, you know, LaPierre was going to prison at some point in time years ago. But listen, all of this is just sad. It's a sad commentary. But look, after all is said and done with all of this nonsense, do you think anyone's going to go to jail for the big lie? I mean, look, They pulled Jeffrey Clark out of bed on Thursday. They tossed his house around. They took his electronics. Now, I've seen and I've lived right through that movie before. All right. But do we assume that it happened uh, on a hearing day where Clark was mentioned by name? I mean, do we assume that it was all an accident or is it just part of the big show? That's a great question. I I think that uh, maybe the DOJ is uh, get, getting a little antsy and they are aware of some of the things that are going to transpire. And so they're taking action so that they're not uh, called out for not taking action at this point. Um, I, I do think that people are going to get arrested. I think that uh, the people who funded um, the rally before the insurrection, the people who organized and invited people, um, and especially, especially the people who are, behind this fake elector scheme and people who presented pardons in exchange for their support. Um, I think a lot of, I think there's going to be members of Congress that are arrested. Like that at this point, there are felonies overtly made with clean, clean and clear cut evidence, um, not just on video, but also in paper form and, you know, documents, you know, they always present the documents. The DOJ loves having document uh, documentation and evidence like that. Um, it's, it's really like, this is beyond the pale. Like it's, it's so bad that if they were not to prosecute uh, everyone involved with this, that in that in fact would be criminal. Like I, I don't believe that there is room here to screw up, but like you've got to move quick because if not, uh, as a friend, Officer Harry Dunn, Capitol Police Officer, told me, um, another insurrection will happen. Like surely, um, the the only way that we can rid of that potential issue is by 
people facing justice. And I, I think that I think that there is some sort of conspiracy or um, seditious conspiracy case that's building and they haven't gotten to the people who organized it and the people in the White House. But they, I, you can't let people get away with committing felonies that resulted in the death of police officers and an attack, a terrorist attack on the Capitol that endangered the life of everybody inside of there. Um, it, you can't let that go. And uh, I, I, again, I think it's criminal if no one else gets arrested for their role, especially uh, Trump, especially him. Yeah, you're so right. So look, Mo Brooks just lost his primary, <laughs> and now and now he's going to testify for the committee, right? Yeah. You think it's out of revenge? I mean, and for example, where the fuck is Vice President Pence? Right. right? Where's Mark? Where's Mark Meadows? I mean, do you think that Meadows has already flipped? You think that he's actually providing some of this information? And look, no surprise. Look who asked for pardons, right? Which according to Donald himself, the genius, is a clear sign of guilt. So is anyone sweating right now? I've heard that the, that the Trump family is sweating from some documentary that's going to be put on CNN. Um, you think that anybody else is sweating? I mean, look, seven people, claim, it's claimed, that had asked for pardons. You got Mo Brooks, who's now um, going to be testifying. That would be an interesting question when they ask him. You have Matt Gates, the pedophile, right? Which, again, I fucking hate Matt Gates, um, you know, for so many different reasons. Matt Gates was caught with his pants down. We have the Venmo receipts. We know what he was doing. There's the guy who was doing it with him for him, right? This Joel Greenberg, or whatever his name is, Greenbaum Greenberg. Um, provided all the information, including firsthand testimony. And yet, how long is it now? Over two years since those charges came about and he's still not in handcuffs? I don't get that one. You got Andy Biggs of Arizona, right? Louis the jerk of Gomert of Texas. I mean, for God's sakes, people of Texas, wake the fuck up. I mean, you the guy is the biggest joke. I mean, he's just... He's a fucking moron to be fully, you know, transparent with you. And then you got Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, just another guy who I don't know why he's taking the positions that he does, you know, these pro-Trump. And then, of course, you know, the dopiest of them all is Marjorie Taylor Greene, right, of Georgia. I mean, these folks all ask Trump for a pocket pardon. Why? That's a great question. Uh, I think it's because they know they committed crimes. And that's uh, one of the only reasons, I believe Kinziger said it, one of the only reasons you uh, ask for a pardon is because you thought you committed a crime. And I think that uh, what was funny about it all is that asking for a pardon in the way that they did is a crime. Uh, just asking for it. And so, I mean, I, I think that I, my guess is Trump was advised that he couldn't give them pardons because that, in fact, would be a crime. And I don't know if why, why, I'm sorry, Scott. Why would it be? Why would it be a crime? President has the has the right and the authority 
you know, vested uh, in him in order to give a pardon for anyone or anything that he wanted. Look, they, they sold pardons like it was going out of style, right? And now all of a sudden, these folks are asking. And by the way, I also didn't agree with Adam Kinzinger's comment uh, about, you know, only guilty people, right? How about somebody that just doesn't want to be bothered with the whole thing? I can tell you that when Trump was out there um, talking about, I have the right to pre-pardon. Remember, I, I understand the code of Donald Trump and what he says. You know, he was putting out there, don't cooperate and I'll take care of you. So now they were just asking, well, hey, how about the pardons? I don't want to be bothered with, you know, going to prison. I don't want to be bothered by, um, you know, having to spend millions of dollars, you know, to protect myself from the Justice Department that I truly believe is corrupt, which is why I'm almost finished with the second book called The Department of Injustice. Um, you know, there are plenty of reasons why somebody would want to pardon without acknowledgement of guilt. Now, Again, back to these seven assholes, I believe that they're fully guilty based upon not the fact that they asked for pardons, but based on the documentary evidence that has been, as well as the testimony, uh, firsthand testimony of individuals in regard to all of these, to all of these folks. Right. And I think uh, making it clear, Matt Gates wanted it for any, anything he'd done before. And that was, I found that to be quite interesting as well. Um, I, I, it's really, I think that there's again, more to the story and more involvement. I mean, I released some videos that I, I found for, of Marjorie Taylor green outside the white house, uh, you know, saying, I just came from this meeting. We are not going to let this stand that kind of stuff. Um, in front of the Capitol the day before inviting people there saying, we're going to fight this to the end. Like there's a lot of different things, a lot of evidence that, um, I think is yet to come in regards to the members of Congress. And that's probably what's next in regards to uh, uh, whether or not they'll be charged for their role. I think it'll be what happened behind the scenes. How much were they involved with the organization of it for real and how much were their staff involved with it? Um, So it's, I, I just don't see a way out for them. And I think that they saw that. They saw that they uh, were cornered like rats by Donald and he abandoned them like he abandons, you know, Everyone. everybody. Yeah. And and so they just they still have been die hard to him, even though he refused to give them pardon. It wouldn't be criminal on Trump's end. It would be criminal part of a criminal act, apparently, um, to receive to, to ask for the pardon. It, it's sort of like a bribe scenario is what one of the attorneys has told me. Um, but I, I think the bigger crime, obviously, uh, is, is their involvement in the planning, um, their involvement in knowing that there w- was the intention for violence at the Capitol on January 6th and knowing that they could help provoke that because that was the only way that Trump would be able to stall and stay in power and they were willing to do whatever including violence not just against capitol police and legislators but violence against their own people so that they could claim oh my god look what they're doing to us like we're peacefully protesting and they're killing us like i i just i think that they are evil and people need to recognize that they obviously were willing to uh have people die that day 
Um, and, and I don't think that that's over yet. Yeah, I, I'm 100% certain that you're right on that one. You know, look, Scott, let me uh, thank you, you know, for your time. Let me thank you for all that you're doing. Um, you know, I'm not sure whether you have a book that's coming out or uh, whether you're hosting any events, you know, soon. I certainly wish that you and the Democratic Coalition uh, certainly would. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I listen also to the, you know, Dorkin Report, uh, you know, your podcast. Uh, I find it fascinating and I certainly recommend it. Um, let me just say to you, thank you, you know, for all that you're doing. Uh, like I am, we're just, we're just trying to educate the masses. We're just trying to mobilize folks with legitimate, legitimate information, real honest information. It may be partisan, I'll acknowledge that, but there's no fake news here. There's no innuendo. A fact is a fact. And if you somebody wants to say, well, your fact, you know, uh, is not accurate that uh, they did not intend to burn down the Capitol. They did not intend to destroy democracy. And so well, I would say that there's something really wrong with you. Uh, the same holds true with, you know, gun laws. I just think they're stupid. Um, and same with this overturning of Roe v. Wade and all of the lies that comes out of the Trump camp, including now the theft of $250 million that was supposed to go into a legal fund that in instead went into his pocket, right? The payment to Kimberly Gargoyle of the $60,000, right? The, you know, the payment that they're making. Do you know, I'll just give you a fast one because, um, you know, the hour goes by real quick. I'll never forget when my friend Amorosa ended up leaving. I remember that they called her up and she put, put it out there and it's, uh, there's a recording of it. Laura Trump, who, by the way, is responsible for the, uh, for the rally. They took the rally over she and Eric from, uh, what was her name, Jen? Jennifer Lawrence and her boyfriend, Dustin, uh, who had organized it. They came and hijacked it. But Amorosa was offered $15,000 a month, $180,000 to be paid by the RNC for her to go work at the RNC, in essence, to keep her mouth shut and not talk negative about Donald uh, after she was removed from the White House. And that's the game that they play. They will use other people's money, right, in order to benefit themselves, even if it's a payoff, right? I.E. Stormy Daniels, Michael Cohen, stupid payment. So I'm glad Omarosa didn't take it. And I, look, I want, again, just want to thank you for all that you're doing and um, certainly look forward to speaking to you very, very soon because you're right, none of this shit's going away. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on. I'll see you soon, my friend. And now for today's mea culpa. Roe versus Wade struck down. Miranda Wright's gutted. Concealed carry is suddenly law of the land. How the hell did we get here and why? Who is it serving? Who wins when so many people lose? The criminalization of a woman simply trying to manage her own health care is so outrageous, so counter to what I've always believed were shared American values, that it's hard to wrap my brain around the events of this week without getting a real lump in my throat. When you let it all sink in, it feels like we've really lost our way. How do we maintain our common decency when one group of folks is taking from another and giving nothing in return? Rights? What a funny idea. We had them and then we lost them. Why? Friday it became a felony in Alabama to have an abortion. A 
felony. Pence is out stumping for a national-wide ban on abortion, and Clarence Thomas is gloating. He got us. He got us good. One law at a time, the longest sitting justice on the bench is exacting his revenge on an America that he sees as a failed experiment. These rights never came easy to him. He was a liberal, hard to believe, but it was the promise of civil rights that broke his heart. Because it wasn't the truth, it was the effortless way that white northern elites made a dark black man from the South feel. His color, a fact he can never change, has informed him about who Americans really are. And the cruelty we are capable of has never escaped him. Rather, it has become him. The only way I can make sense of these recent rulings is to think that hate and intolerance have come to rule the court. Not all time, just today. And tomorrow we'll resume the fight or take a breath or cry a little. But I hope that equality and a more perfect union are still the goals. We haven't gotten there yet, but there's things we can do right now to make a difference. Check our own hate and intolerance for one, because I'm fucking mad, but I can make a choice not to be an asshole. I've been that. I'm recovering. But we all fall off sometimes. The trick is to do little things, neighborly things, and smart things. Like put your money where your mouth is. Spend your money on stuff you believe in. Meaning, who are the corporations that you buy from? Do they support your values? How are the candidates that you vote for? Where does the money come from? The NRA? Then don't fucking vote for them. And know that the poor and people of color are going to feel this swift and ugly repeal of our hard-won civil rights more than most. I'm mad at America. I'm not going to lie. But I also love America and believe that we can do better. That we will do better. We need to do better. We just have to keep looking for the way. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth.